Hi everyone, my name is Joey Fight. I'm the founder of thephysicaleducator.com and a physical education teacher here in Montreal, Canada. Welcome back to the Phys Ed Show podcast. Okay, that was the easy part. Uh, today I'm sharing something with you that's incredibly personal and that I've been hesitating. Um, I'm not sure hesitating is the right word. It's more like I've been terrified to talk about for the past two months. Before we get into it, I just want to be super clear as to why I'm doing this now, because I'm not looking for sympathy or pity or anything like that. I'm sharing because one of the things I've learned through this whole process is that I was much less alone than I thought I was in it. And sometimes people just need to hear that someone else is going through the same things that they are in order to be able to start feeling better and to get through it. So let's start at the start. I've talked about my morning routine before. I get up early, I make a coffee, and I start writing. Every morning, the first thing I write down are my three values. One, family. Two, health. Three, education. I write those down so that they're front in mind and I can, they can help guide me through the day that is to come. I, I was raised to believe that your values shape your character and that character is what comes out when things get tough. It's the default setting that you... You wind up forging over a, a lifetime of living and failing and learning and growing. Part of the reason I started this practice was because of the fact that I live my life with a sometimes soul-crushing amount of anxiety and depression. I've been an anxious person my whole life, and I first noticed the role that depression plays in my well-being back in my early to mid-20s. I'm 35 now, for the record. Uh, for a long time, I thought I could take advantage of the the roller coaster that my mind would put me through. I could suffer through the lows, just riding them out as long as they took and get the most out of these crazy highs that I would experience. If you've been following my work for years, you've probably already noticed this pattern in, in what I published to the website. There's periods where you don't hear from me for a long time, followed by periods where I'm sharing an insane amount of content and ideas. It always just worked for me. Then I got married and I became a dad and I realized that I could no longer go to those dark places of my lows on my own anymore. Any time I spent there meant that my wife and my son would somehow get dragged into it to a degree alongside with me. I couldn't afford to do that so I started to take steps to try and balance myself out more. Now if ever you felt the weight of depression before, it almost feels like you're deep underwater. You don't really hear things clearly, you can't see too far ahead. And it feels like your, your life force is just slowly slipping away. You're not yourself. Your mind is off its rails. Your thinking patterns are different. And everything feels like you're just suddenly crashing into it. As I grew older, I came to better recognize that state and stop trying to flee from it as I did in my 20s when I would normally, quote unquote, manage it um, by drinking. Once I had a better picture of what my depressive state was like, I started coming up with tools to help me pull out of it as quickly as I could. Writing down my values every morning was like turning um, the lighthouse light on. When I found myself under dark, cold water, I could see the light above the surface and just start swimming in that direction. For the most part, it worked. When I started to feel unwell, I'd invest time into my family. When I noticed that I was getting stuck in a depressive pattern, I'd ramp up my healthy habits. When I started to lose my purpose, I'd dive deeper into my teaching, my students, and the work I do on this website to help other teachers. Family, health, education. My values, in that order, were there to help me through it all. 
until I realized I was lying to myself about them. Not that I didn't maintain those three values in my heart, but that I was willing to switch the order up in order to focus on one while ignoring the others. For the longest time, I would put my teaching ahead of everything else. Family is rooted too deeply in me for me to ignore it completely, but health? I was willing to sacrifice that in order to spend more hours on lessons, units, projects, and content for the site. It was a slow grind over years and years, and it was taking a toll on me that I didn't fully understand or recognize. When my son was born, suddenly a whole new chapter of my life began. My desire to be a family man grew even stronger, but I wasn't willing to pump the brakes on how I identified as an educator. That meant that health got tossed even further out the window. I can't say that I didn't know it was happening. The signs were all there. So I have stress-induced eczema. So I've had eczema my whole life. Um, And if you don't know eczema, it's like patches of dry, super itchy skin that pop up all over your body. Uh, When I get really stressed out, my eczema flares up a lot. And it gets so bad and and noticeable that I would often joke with my students that I had zombie fingers because they would notice the the cracked, bleeding skin on my hands. Uh, My digestion issues uh, were the worst. It would get to the point where I would often avoid eating breakfast or meals at school just to avoid getting sick. Um, I'm a tall, slender guy. Like I'm 6'2", 180 pounds when I'm healthy. And it's not uncommon for my weight to drop down below 170 during a prolonged period of anxiety and depression. Last year, the, the anxiety started to attack my muscles as well, which was something new that I wasn't familiar with and that I was really annoyed about, I guess. Um, I had such bad tension in my traps and my neck that no osteopath, chiropractor, or acupuncturist seemed to be able to relieve me of. I could feel it. My, I, I always said my, my brother has a husky named Nymeria, and when Nye sees another dog, you see the fur on the back of her shoulders and the back of her neck kind of raise up. That's how my muscles would feel as soon as anything stressful would happen, something that would that would... Uh, fluster me or or get me upset. I could just feel that tension building up instantly in my neck and it would just stay there. And it was so irritating and just, it made me angry. Um, And along with it came headaches and migraines that just meant that oftentimes I would get home from work and I would just have to go to bed to try and sleep them off because they'd get so bad at times that trying to keep my eyes open just hurts. Oftentimes my right eye just felt like it was going to like explode out of my head. And then came my heart. I don't know what's up with my heart. Uh, as I'm recording this, I'm wearing a Holter device, which is a tool that monitors your heart for 24 hours so that doctors can try and figure out what's going on. I'm not unfamiliar with panic attacks. As someone who's lived with anxiety most of my life, I've had a couple. If you've never had a panic attack before, let me walk you through it. It feels like you're dying. It starts with a pain in your chest, and it's for me, it's followed by sweaty hands and feet. You can I can feel my heart starting to feel faster, um, abnormally fast and I can feel it in my neck and oftentimes I'll get dizzy during uh, a panic attack. My legs start to shake and occasionally I'll even get like a bad case of tunnel vision like I'm having a hard time seeing. Um, it feels like you're you're outside of your body but experiencing every single sensation in it all at the same time. Last spring I had a really bad one. Uh, my wife and I were watching a movie. We were watching that movie um, The Gentleman with Matthew McConaughey And there was a car crash scene in the movie where there's a slow-mo crash where a car flips over. As I was watching that scene and the car started to turn upside down, my heart felt like it pumped sludge uh, just for a single beat. It was just like this like really slow, strong beat. It felt really weird. 
All of a sudden, all these other symptoms started to hit me, but stronger than I'd ever experienced before. I didn't want to go to a hospital, even though I was freaking out. The pandemic was in full rage mode. My son was sleeping in his crib. I was panicking, and I couldn't think through the logistics of it all, of how to get myself to the hospital and in, in the middle of all this mess. So I went for a walk to see if I could shake it, which did seem to help and to work. I was able to gain control of those shakes. Uh, But it took me three full days to recover from it. Three full days before I kind of like didn't really notice it anymore. Um, I've been having heart palpitations ever since. Uh, It's either like a a fluttering in my heart or again, one of those like mild like sludge pumps. Just before Christmas, I woke up one morning and I was sitting down with my family. We were totally relaxed, just kind of having fun with our son playing and I knew my heart rate was at 50 because I have my Apple watch on and I check my heart rate all the time ever since this whole mess happened and all of a sudden I started to feel my mood change that was the first thing I kind of noticed I was just sitting there playing with my son and I started feeling really angry for no reason the next thing I knew my heart rate was at 148 and all these other symptoms had started hitting me again and I couldn't usually with a panic attack I can kind of understand the trigger and I couldn't figure out what was going on So this time I did go to the hospital uh, and I'm now being followed by a doctor to try and figure all this out. I had an ultrasound in my heart a couple weeks ago. Uh, I'm wearing this whole turd right now and um, I'm seeing somebody hopefully that they'll be able to help me through this. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Like this is, it's terrifying. I really, I hate it. I hate everything about it. Um, That said, I'm really just hoping that all this just turns out to be related to anxiety Um, and that I'll be able to get a handle of it and put it in the past. So character is what comes out when things get tough. This whole effing pandemic has taken its toll on me. In the spring when the lockdown started and we switched to distance learning, I was a mess. I felt as though a key component of my identity, identifying as a great teacher, had been robbed of me. I felt very out of control and felt myself slipping back underneath the water. In an effort to try and regain some sense of control, I started doubling down on teaching. Not health, not family, but teaching. I started going to bed around midnight or 1 a.m. every night, and then I was waking up at 4 a.m. with my mind absolutely racing and knowing that I probably wouldn't be able to fall back asleep. So I might as, I think I might as well just get up and get to work, right? So I'd get up, I'd start answering my my I'd start my day off by answering emails from teachers who in their own fear, chose to unleash some of that anger in their messages. Angry about not receiving their download, which probably just got sent to spam. Um, Angry about me not sharing my templates for the things I was making. Angry about me not updating resources that I I said I would be updating. Angry about me not getting back to their emails soon enough. I really thought I was helping out by starting my day off like that every morning. But the reality is that my, my cup was drained at that point and I didn't know where I could keep pouring from. I then get into making content for my teaching, obsessing over every detail of how things looked and worked. So like at school, I couldn't afford to be such a perfectionist uh, because each lesson provided me with a hard deadline, right? Um, You have to get your content ready for the start of the lesson because you can't just like keep working on it when your students are in the gym. And an asynchronous teaching reality with what felt like an unlimited amount of time, an unlimited amount of resources to invest into every new project, I could afford to try and be perfect. Here's the thing about being a perfectionist. It's not as much about producing great work as it is about convincing yourself that you're good enough. 
By the end of the school year, I felt like a shell of who I was previously. In depression, you learn how to fake a lot. You put on a show and surprise everybody with some flash and bang so that nobody really sees what's going on. Um, May and June last year involved a lot of flash and bang as I was just trying to get through stuff and try to like not let anyone become aware of how I was doing or where I was at. By July, my family and I were in Nova Scotia where we spent our summers. Um, my wife is from there. And I decided I had to recharge. So with teaching out of the way, obviously it was summertime and no public speaking events scheduled for the summer. Everything was pretty much canceled because of the pandemic. I got to focus on family and health. I was taking my son to the beach every day. I was cooking dinners with my wife. I was going for runs. I was out paddleboarding every almost every day on the ocean. Everything I could do to try and regain some some sense of self. I completed Sam Harris's Waking Up Introductory me- uh, Meditation course, which I highly, highly, highly recommend if, ev- if ever you're interested in getting into meditation or even if you've been meditating for a while. I loved how in the final minute of so many of his sessions, he invites participants to simply begin again. Allowing myself the grace to start over is not something I've ever been good at in my life. So those words really, really stuck with me. And it was something I found myself thinking about as time went on. We also found out last summer that Jess is pregnant, which means we have another baby on the way in March. Um, so our family is going to be getting bigger. Our son's going to have a sibling. We're having a baby boy, so he's going to have a brother. Uh, and our home will soon be filled with that much more love. And let's be totally honest here, um, with that much more madness too. <laughs> Being a parent of a toddler in the middle of a pandemic has not been easy although i uh, i wouldn't change it for anything so i don't know if you're seeing the pattern here emerging already i was in this deep dark valley and now i'm it was all followed up by this nice high hill by august i was feeling better um, and i decided it was time to get back into teacher mode i started researching pandemic back to school guidelines i came up with a plan to make recess work in the middle of a global pandemic at school I started drafting ideas on how to boost school connectedness for faculty, on-campus students, and at-home learners. We made our way back to Montreal, and I was feeling good about the school year. My mission was to be, just like my favorite Sean Paul song, like glue. I wanted to try and bind people together and to be a positive force at school, making sure that I was doing everything I could to fight what would surely be a a really stressful work environment and a learning environment for everyone at at St. George's. So just like my wife, my sister-in-law slash teaching partner extraordinaire would also be on preventative leave uh, slash maternity leave for the year uh, because they're actually, they're going to have their baby really soon. So my son's going to have another cousin, which is amazing. Um, And it meant that I would have a new teaching partner for the year. So I, I thought to myself, okay, like I can roll with this new teaching partner. All right, we're going to make this work. When I got back to school, we found out that we'd be using a concurrent classroom model, which meant that there would be, we'd be teaching both on-campus students and at-home learners at the same time. There was this like big Zoom battle station thing built for every classroom and for the gym, and you had to teach everybody at the same time, which just kind of felt like you were splitting your head in two. I know a lot of teachers right now are, are in that reality. But I thought to myself, all right, let's have some fun with this. Okay, there's probably some really cool things we can do. We can use this TV here. We can we can do all kinds of crazy stuff. Now, not all families wanted their kids to sit in live PE lessons from home. So they asked the school that we also provide some asynchronous work that they can complete on their own time. 
So now we're teaching both um, students who are on campus. We're teaching at-home learners live via Zoom. And on top of that, we're making content for students who are not attending classes live um, so that they can get they can still be assessed and continue to make progress in phys ed. And I thought, all right, cool. New types of content that I get to make. Um, there was a lot of ideas for asynchronous stuff that I had in the spring that I never got around to or that I never completed. I can roll with this. School year started and all of a sudden you start going into the workstations because we didn't really have a staff room anymore or you start stepping into somebody's classroom and you're finding colleagues just crying. Um, people who are just totally depleted after just a few weeks of teaching. And I told myself, it's like, Joey, you, you said you were going to be here for people. So I'd go up and I'd be like, hey, I'm here for you. Let me know if, if there's anything I can do to help. If you want a bagel, I bought some fresh ones on my walk over this morning. All right, they're down in the in the kitchen room. Just you have to wait your turn to be able to go into the kitchen. But make sure you grab them before the end of the day. And found out that due to new government guidelines, the new schedule meant that my contact time with younger students would get cut in half. Also, I didn't have a teaching space for my grade six lessons on Friday, when I normally would teach um, both grade six groups at the same time in the larger gym up at the at the high school campus. Also, also during that period, because we can no longer use the high school campus. I actually didn't have anywhere to teach uh, those those students. And not only did I not have anywhere to teach, I, I was still teaching both bubbles at the same time, but I had to make sure that they weren't interacting with each other. They weren't coming in contact because we had to keep the bubble groups completely separate. So I thought, okay, well, whatever. This is just like a puzzle. Uh, I like puzzles. We'll figure this one out. Before too long, um, my anxiety started waking me up again, like at three, four in the morning. My skin started breaking down again. It was keeping me up at night. I would just like scratch myself until I was like bleeding. Um, I lost my appetite and saw all the weight that I'd worked hard to regain over the summer just slowly start melting away. I'd come home. Uh, I'd go to my bedroom away from my wife and son and either just fall asleep or cry. When or if I did come out of the bedroom again, I'd usually be angry. Um... You know, my toddler is right smack in the middle of the terrible twos. Uh, and it, the tantrums he was throwing were only rivaled by the ones I was throwing myself. I just felt outside of my body. I felt completely out of control. And I could feel the water just creeping up over my head. At work, my heart palpitations started showing up in the middle of my lessons. Uh, I'd start feeling dizzy and I would just try and finish my instructions, get the kids going. And then I'd take a knee and try to focus on my breathing until it passed. I felt myself getting angry both at the work I was doing and the place where I worked, um, which looking back doesn't make sense. A colleague of mine had a very justified outburst at, one of, at an out-of-touch request, like the silly thing that the school had made during um, one of our faculty meetings. No one was really at fault. I just want to say that. Like, the thing is, like when everybody some, becomes so entrenched in what they're doing, to just try and help keep a school running, it's easy to become out of touch with each other's realities and states of well-being. That said, I felt myself being really triggered by how the school reacted to the to the outburst, um, and I decided that I had this this meeting coming up with my heads of school, this check-in meeting, and I was going to speak my mind and let them know how pissed I was at everything that was going on. I feel like we often fantasize about those moments when push comes to shove and how we're going to put our foot down in those moments. Um, I went to that meeting feeling ready to let go of all this anger that had been boiling up inside me. And when I went to unleash it on my, my the assistant head and my head of school, 
what came out wasn't anger. It was just a lot of hurt and pain. I couldn't bring myself to bash on my heads at school. People who deep down I knew were also hurting and just trying their best. That said, I, I also couldn't keep going on like this. I was empty. I was utterly drained. I was scared for my health. I was worried about my family. I was unable to see things with clear eyes and just completely unsure how I was going to get through the next couple of days, let alone the next couple of months. With my best interests at heart, the heads of school suggested that I take a couple of days to try and recharge and regain some balance. I did so. Uh, I took those days and I did my best not to try to try not to think about school while I wasn't at, uh, on campus. I failed miserably at that. Instead, I tried to use that time off to catch up on assessment and asynchronous lessons that needed to be prepared. Early one morning, I got up to make my coffee and I was going to get ready to start updating my seesaw entries. As the kettle was boiling uh, for the coffee, I, I randomly hopped on Facebook, which I re- I'm trying to get away from Facebook as much as possible, so I really don't check Facebook anymore. Um, the top post in my feed, though, was from an educational consultant who I'd done some work with in the past and who I have a tremendous amount of respect for. In her post, she shared the following quote by author Oliver Berkman. When stumped by a life choice, choose enlargement over happiness. I'm indebted to the therapist James Hollis for his insight that a major personal decision should not be made by asking, will this make me happy? But will this choice enlarge me or diminish me? We're terrible at predicting what will make us happy. The question swiftly gets bogged down in our narrow preferences for security and control. But the enlargement question elicits a deeper intuitive response. You tend to know whether, say, leaving or remaining in a relationship or job Though it might bring short-term comfort, would mean cheating yourself of growth. Relatedly, don't worry about burning bridges. Irreversible decisions tend to be more satisfying because now there's only one direction to travel, forward into whatever choice you made. I sat in my kitchen that morning and thought about that quote. I know that when I'm well, teaching makes me happy. I find purpose in it and I feel most connected to who I am. But my relationship with teaching is also an unhealthy one, one that I struggle to set boundaries to, one that can often leave me feeling diminished. I got to work on those seesaw entries, uploading the students uh, videos of the students performing their running that I carefully filmed in 1080p at 60 frames per second while running alongside them using a handheld gimbal to ensure the best possible shot. I created a custom graphic that would sit in the upper right corner of each video's thumbnail and that showcased the five critical elements of running, which I had rewritten in student-friendly language. With the graphic added to the video's thumbnail, I used Seesaw's built-in annotation tools to add a star emoji to the critical element that was most easily observable and then used the highlighter function to mark the critical element that I wanted the student to focus on next. Next, I wrote out some additional feedback as a caption to the post and wrapped this whole process up by tagging the post with the skills, aka the Shape America grade level outcomes that this assessment piece was based on, that I'd previously uploaded to Seesaw. I did this for each kid in the bubble group and then moved on to the next bubble group and repeated it all over again. When I was done, I sat back and thought, why the hell am I doing this? I mean, I I know why. Being a good, innovative, effective teacher makes me happy. Helping kids learn and believe in themselves makes me happy. 
But the reality was that I was sitting at home at 5.30 in the morning on a day when I was supposed to be resting to avoid burning out any further, and I just couldn't help myself but to jump into my work. By doing so, I was robbing myself once again of any ability to put my family and my health in the rightful place at the top of my priorities and values. I had an honest and very real conversation with my wife later that day. We talked about our growing family, about our dream of moving out of the city, my long-term professional goals, and the state of my health. We talked about the fact that neither of us were sure how I was going to be able to handle all these upcoming changes if I stayed in this state of health. We also talked about my dream about launching the next chapter of my career eventually and starting out as a physical education instructional coach. As I've built the physicaleducator.com over the past 10 years and witnessed how I can be helping other teachers through it, that had kind of become a long-term goal of mine. However, I always felt like I still had something to prove in my teaching, that I still hadn't reached the standard that I'd set for myself. The reality is that I was also terrified to give up the safety and security of being a teacher in order to chase something else not only felt scary, it felt irresponsible towards my family. As Jess and I talked through it, I came to realize that sacrificing my health, robbing my family of who I really am, stealing away those moments as I try to balance teaching full-time and still keeping the site going and being the kind of educator I want to be, that was the real irresponsible thing that was happening here allowing fear to deny myself the opportunity to be well, to be the husband and father I want to be, to chase dreams, and to finally step outside my comfort zone and experience growth and enlargement, that was what was irresponsible. So I quit. I wrote up my letter of resignation and handed in my two weeks notice. I finally decided to put my family and my health first. The school did their very best to try and find a way to keep me there. And, you know, in I, I said before, character is what comes out in tough moments. I saw the true character of my school there about how they cared about me and how they wanted me to be well and, and see how we can make it work while me still being at school. They even offered for me to consider taking an extended sick leave. Uh, but I knew I could not move forward with my health unless I started by reclaiming all the headspace that I had allowed teaching to occupy for so long. The week that followed was a hard one. The school wasn't ready to announce my leaving just yet, and I asked that we not tell the students until my final week, which they respected. My head still wasn't right, and I spent the whole week feeling sick about what I had done. It all felt like a test of my will, and I'll be honest, it felt like I was failing pretty hard. By Friday afternoon... I was burnt out. I was unwell. I didn't know how I was going to get myself through my final last week. On that Saturday morning, my family and I went for a hike. We were walking through the woods, chasing our son between the trees and watching for birds. At some point, I realized that I was fully present in that moment. When I talk to my wife about how my head feels most of the time, the common thing I say is that It feels like my mind has been ripped apart. I have a hard time being present, even during family outings and gatherings, because part of my head is back in that tiny blue gym at my school, thinking about what is to happen next to my teaching, what next projects I should be undertaking, what more I can be doing for my students. But on that morning, all those pieces of my mind were together and focused on the only thing that matters, my family. 
By Monday morning, the faculty had been notified of my decision, and I started to receive thoughtful messages from the amazing people who I've had the privilege to work with through all those years. I remember reading The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and being challenged by the author to think about what people would be saying at my funeral. Now, leaving a job, leaving my school isn't exactly the same as dying, but it did let me hear what people really thought of me as a colleague. The words they used to describe me were never ones I would use to describe myself. Traits like generosity, integrity, and kindness were all ones that I strived to build into my character, but also ones that I felt that I'd missed the mark on too many times to really feel deserving of. As I started to pack up my things, I was able to take stock of all the work I had accomplished over the past seven years at St. George's School. When you're in it, it can be really easy to get focused on thoughts such as, how can I make this better now? What comes next? Oh, I, I wish I hadn't cut that corner. By getting caught up in that kind of thinking, you lose your ability to make an inventory of what you've actually achieved and the impact that you've had. With clearer eyes and a closing chapter, I was able to see that I had done good work at that school. I'm not trying to be boastful or anything like that. I'm just saying that in your quest to better yourself as an educator, it, it can be easy to forget that the teacher that you are today is pretty darn good. Wanting to be better shouldn't rob you of your ability to feel proud of who you currently are. You can be both hungry and happy at the same time. Those two things aren't mutually exclusive. Now, the next thing I had to do was say goodbye to my students. These kids that had put their faith in me ran with my crazy ideas and made me feel loved each and every day. These kids I watched grow up and whose parents let me into their family's village. People who don't work with children don't understand just how strong they are. They'll never see the magic of a young person's ability to cut through everything and just connect straight to your heart, giving you the courage you need to just be yourself. The kids were sad, but even in their sadness, they found ways to be kind, to be grateful, and to be forgiving. I thought long and hard about what I wanted to say to my students on my last day. I had all these intentions to talk about being active and living adventures and taking on new challenges. But when I stood in front of them, my whole message just fell apart and boiled down to just two words. Be kind. I told them that the only thing that matters in life is that you go about it doing your very best to be a good person. At the end of the day, no matter how much wealth, fame, or success you have accumulated, if you look back on your life and know that you tried your hardest to treat others with kindness, then you'll be able to say that you've achieved something truly important. I told them what I wish I had heard years and years ago, that you don't need to waste so much time and energy worrying if you're good enough. You are. You always have been. Human beings are born into this world perfect. Our flaws and our fears are meant to be there. They're part of what makes us unique and they will help you grow stronger, wiser, and more compassionate as you move through life. Naming them, knowing them, never feeling the need to hide them away, that's the foundation of allowing yourself to be vulnerable. Now, because vulnerability brings these, flaw these flaws and fears into light, people have often mistaken it for weakness, but allowing yourself to be vulnerable is not weakness. Instead, it's an act of strength. It's a declaration that says, I know who I am, what I'm worth, 
And you can't take that away from me. I told my students that, just like I always told them, I wanted them to be healthy, I wanted them to be active, but more than anything, I wanted them to be a good person. And that I hoped that I had modeled that for them each and every day in each and every way while I got to be their phys ed teacher. I thank my students for helping fill my days up with a lifetime of memories that I'll be able to replay in my head. I didn't get to hug them goodbye, but I did tell them that I love them all. There's a long list of accomplishments that I've achieved at St. George's School that I could share as highlights. And to be honest, you can find most of them already shared as blog posts, podcasts, videos, and resources on thephysicaleducator.com. Just know that I put all of those on an equal footing with every shoelace I tied, jacket I zipped up, dad joke I delivered, and tear I wiped off. At the end of my last day, my colleagues surprised me with a physically distanced party in the gym. I got to say thank you to everyone and let them know how much they all meant and continue to mean to me. Then as the last person headed out, I got to say goodbye to that little blue gym and close yet another chapter in my life. So why am I sharing this with all of you? When the announcement went out to the faculty that I would be leaving the school, it was accompanied by a letter I wrote to them. I wanted people to hear from me why I was making the decision. Similar to what I've done here, I didn't shy away from letting people know that I had been hurting both mentally and physically for some time, or that I had big changes coming up and I wasn't sure how I was going to be able to handle them. In the responses I heard back from teachers, more than a few mentioned that They'd been feeling the same way, but didn't know if it was okay to talk about it. Seeing my willingness to be open and honest about my health helped them find the courage to start addressing their own well-being. If sharing my story here with this large of an audience, if it just helps one person take positive action to end the cycle of suffering that they may be in, then it's worth it. I also want to share this because... There was a sense of clarity that I experienced in those last few days that I wish it hadn't taken me quitting my job to be able to attain. I want to share with you some of those insights with you so that you don't have to get to that point to be able to make use of them. First off, I know that this I'm preaching to the choir here, but I also feel like we often ignore this on our own advice. Your health is everything. It's not just about feeling good, being injury-free, or being a quote-unquote positive role model for your students. It's about being able to think and see clearly. It's about putting yourself in the best possible position to take the right action or make the right decision when you need to. It's about being able to recognize which thoughts are real and which thoughts are just fabrications of your own anxiety and your fears. Nothing, nothing is worth sacrificing your health over. Please learn from my own mistakes and cherish it above everything else and be ruthless when setting boundaries to protect it. Second, I invite you to take some time this week to write down a list of everything you have accomplished in your career. I don't care how big or how small, write it down. Keep that list handy and continue to add to it over time. There is nothing wrong with wanting to improve, to make something better, or to just call a belly flop a belly flop and move on. 
However, that desire to improve should never cloud your vision when it comes to recognizing all the great things that you have contributed to this world. Each of those wins was willed into existence by you, and it takes a lot of effort, courage, and strength to be able to make something out of nothing. Celebrate yourself, balance your pride with a healthy dose of humility, and make sure to look inside before you look outside for recognition. The third thing I'd like to share is try and make an effort to let colleagues know how much you appreciate them. You never know when somebody might need a good, honest pick-me-up in the form of a compliment from one professional to another. In my last few days, I got to tell my colleagues how much I enjoyed teaching alongside them and how I've stood in awe of their ability to teach kids throughout my time at the school. Thinking back, I don't know why I didn't share these types of things more often. I guess I wasted time and opportunity because it felt kind of awkward letting someone know that I admired them. I honestly believe that that kind of culture, one where of professional and mutual appreciation, can start being, to be built just by a single person taking action. If you can, try to be that person. It might mean the world to someone, and especially right now in this terrible situation that we all find ourselves in. And here's the last thing. Don't ever hesitate to let a student know that you care about them. This is a story I've never shared before. When I, when I first started teaching, I was involved in a controversy. Two students at the middle school where I taught had started a rumor that they'd seen me at a local pub that I had kissed an unnamed, unidentified student. It was this ridiculous thing, but another student brought it to my attention. I remember being mortified. This was the kind of rumor that could end the career before it had even really started. After some investigating and questioning, I found the two boys who were at the root of the whole mess. They confessed that they just started the rumor as a joke, and I explained to them that A, it was very hurtful to me, and B, it represented a real danger uh, to my position at the school. They agreed, um, and this took a lot of guts, they agreed to come with me to the principal's office and let the principal know what had been going on and how it all started. In exchange for their honesty and genuine desire to make things right, I told the principal that I didn't want the boys to be punished for what they had done. Everything worked out, but after that, I decided I was never going to be in a closed room room of students. I wouldn't ever let students um, hug me or make contact with me. I was just going to play it safe and keep my distance from everyone. When the Sandy Hook shootings took place, I remember being mortified and, and hearing about the teacher who hid her students in the bathroom stalls. I remember reading about how she told each one of them that she loved them because she wasn't sure if that was going to be the last thing they would ever hear. This was right around the time that I had started teaching elementary physical education at Royal Charles School, which is where I was before I arrived at St. George's. I told myself then and there that I would never deny a child an opportunity for a hug or an I love you too. The hard thing about teaching is that in order to be good at it, you have to let your heart get involved. And the hard thing about letting your heart get involved is that you open yourself up to the possibility of getting hurt. There are a lot of things I regret over the years I spent teaching. Letting my students know that I love them will never be one of those things. So where do I go from here? In the weeks since I've left the school, I've been working really hard to get healthy again. My mind still isn't where I'd like it to be. My thoughts continue to keep me up at night. 
and continue to go to dark places. Um, but I'm getting there. I've been exercising more than I have in uh, for as long as I can remember. I'm playing with my son and trying hard not to fill our tiny apartment up with PE equipment as I, I'm just secretly trying to scratch my teacher itch. I'm hanging out with my wife, cooking meals together, and feeling baby number two do his jumping jacks in her belly. I'm making time for friends that I haven't been great at staying in touch with over the years. Mostly, I'm going for long walks, during which I just try to be present. I'm hoping that that will help me put my mind back together again. One day when my health and my family life are where I want them to be, I do plan on getting back to teaching. There's just still so much that I want to do and so much more that I feel that I have to share. For now, though, I'm just going to focus on putting first things first. As for the physicaleducator.com, I've been taking this time to slowly catch up on content that I've been wanting to share forever, some of which may seem very out of order as I continue to publish it over the next couple of weeks and months. Things that I kept pushing to the side or that I forgot I had even made in the first place. I'm rediscovering how much I love helping fellow physical education teachers. I'm trying to take time to answer emails with thoughtful replies. I feel bad for it. I feel sometimes people are asking me questions and they're getting like an entire blog post response in return. Um, <clears throat> but I'm having fun with it. I'm making time to build my capacity as a mentor, working with a couple of teachers that I know um, who are having a hard time with, with a bunch of different things and just seeing how I can help out there. And I'm even accepting a few speaking opportunities with local schools and colleges and organizations to try and share some of my ideas and my experience. I've been saying no to speaking ops for a long time just because um, I didn't feel comfortable taking time away from school, but now it's just so much easier without any of the travel involved. I'm not going to lie. I hesitate on sharing my decision to leave St. George's, mostly out of a sense of shame and guilt. Shame that I wasn't strong enough to see this year in which so many teachers are struggling to see it through until its end. Guilt that I had the privilege to make that call for myself. Listen, the website generates revenue, not a ton, which I'm definitely feeling now that I'm not getting my teacher salary anymore. And I've been putting money uh, aside to serve as runway for a while um, in the eventuality that I, I knew I would, I would eventually be changing careers and would want to have a little bit of buffer. I'm privileged to be able to have this second source of income to fall back on for a couple months, and I recognize that's not something that everybody has access to. Shame and guilt have shaped my life and my health for as long as I can remember. I don't know where they first came from, and trust me, my therapist and I are trying to figure all that out. I'm tired of it. And right now, to be honest, I'm just too tired to let them continue to have such a hold on me. So I'm not going to. Instead, I'm going to close my eyes, take a deep breath, and simply begin again. This was a hard one for me to share. I know people have their opinions about it, and I want to thank you in advance for your respect and understanding. Really, what I'm trying to say here, it can be boiled down to the same two words I shared with my students. Be kind. Thank you so much for listening and for your support. I am looking forward to continuing to share, continuing to get involved in the community, and seeing how I can help. But most of all, I'm just looking forward to feeling healthy again. Please continue to take good care of yourself and happy teaching.